Hi, everyone. I'm Donia Tanucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California and host of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast, a show featuring conversations with thought leaders who are transforming healthcare. My guest today is Elizabeth Mitchell, President and CEO of Purchasers Business Group on Health, a nonprofit coalition representing over 40 large private employers and public entities across the U.S., that collectively spend more than $100 billion annually purchasing healthcare services for more than 15 million Americans and their families. As president and CEO, Elizabeth leads PBGH in mobilizing healthcare purchasers, elevating the role and impact of primary care, and creating functional healthcare markets to support high quality, affordable care. Elizabeth was also my first guest when we launched Healthy Dose of Dialogue in 2020. I'm excited to have her on the show again to catch up and gain her insights on healthcare trends and opportunities to transform the healthcare system. Thanks so much for joining me, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me and particularly thank you for having me back. It's got to be a good sign. <laughs> Very excited to have you back and you know, is it when I think back to that first interview and we were just about a few months into the COVID pandemic, um, and then you fast forward, and here we are over a year later. I just wanted to start out, Elizabeth, um, to one, welcome back, but also, uh, you know, what what are you looking forward to at this point uh, as we get back to whatever this new normal looks like? Well, um, I think like everyone, you know, what I'm personally looking forward to is um, seeing friends and family you know, resuming more normal <laughs> work lives and just being back out in the world. But in terms of, you know, our work, I represent jumbo employers and there was remarkable uncertainty about a year ago. Didn't know what was going to happen to their workforces. Didn't know how long this would last. Were they, you know, some of our companies had major layoffs. They had to really rethink some of their, you know, business lines. And it was a real fear. My um, board chair said you know, she usually feels like she has a crystal ball and like what's next for the next few years of healthcare. And she said it was really cloudy. So there was just total uncertainty. Um, I think that there is a growing confidence, uh, resilience, um, but I'm also feeling or hearing and, and seeing uh, just a renewed commitment to transform that you know, we've come through this incredibly trying time um, and there is just this commitment to make the changes that frankly are really overdue. Equity became front and center. Our board voted last year to elevate equity as one of our strategic priorities. We've just failed on that front and we just, it was just laid bare in the pandemic and we are learning, you know, how do we address health inequities differently, starting with the basics, like we, we don't even collect the data. So how do we even know where to start? So, you know, a tangible change is, is that, um, but also recognizing the value of primary care, community-based care, the things that we frankly haven't been paying for. And, you know, you get what you pay for. So our members are really thinking about how they pay differently for the care that truly adds value to their employees and what is their role in addressing equity and social needs. And, you know, just real corporate leadership um, that I have found just really inspiring and a readiness to do things differently. It's sort of 
you know, dislodged some uh, inertia and really just a readiness to take things on. And I'm, I'm excited by the momentum. Yeah, I'm with you. And as I listen to you speak, and, and I know you're passionate around this, I think you would have, and I probably would have been saying some of the same things about what needs to change in healthcare and been sincere about it. And I know you've always have been too, but I've noticed the same thing you have. It just feels like, you know, I don't even know if accelerated is the right term because of the pandemic, but it feels like there's been um, uh, some real commitment and some real, like, let's talk brass tacks on what the real next steps are to do things like, hey, you want to do something about you know, health equity, good first step, get the data, figure out how that, you know, it feels like we're finally breaking it down and starting to, to make some movement. So I get excited about that, but I guess for, from your perspective, I can't put my finger on what's tangible about it other than conversations I've had with folks and just kind of different things I'm seeing in the market. What are the indicators for you that, because I think you and I share that feeling that make you feel that way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've been in this space longer than I care to admit sometimes. <laughs> and we've been talking about this stuff, to your point, for decades. I have been having these conversations for at least two decades. And there are so many people that I work with that are just like, it's time to do this. You know, the theme song that keeps coming to my head is, you know, a little less conversation, like the Elvis song, like it's time to do this. Um, and we're having those conversations with the new Biden administration, with CMMI and CMS leadership. They know what they did the last 10 years didn't get them anywhere. You know, we had a few good models that really didn't result in much. We've got to totally change our approach um, and, and really look at transformation. Some of the um, signs of actual movement, uh, we have been convening a group of jumbo employers, uh, public and private over the last six months to change payment for primary care. Just one example. And we have so much momentum. They are signing on to a joint purchasing agreement to actually collectively tell their plans and partners what they wanna see. And we are convening um, everyone in Chicago in September. We've got 13 employers committed to coming. I mean, 13 jumbo purchasers. You don't get them to go anywhere together. And they are showing up. They're inviting their plans. They're inviting their direct contracting partners. And they want to fix this. They want a three-year horizon to fix our investment in primary care, to integrate behavioral health, to figure out, you know, social. how do you address social determinants? So, again, I don't know if it's going to work, <laughs> but there's at least this amazing commitment to sort of, you know, walk the walk right now. It's it's not enough to talk about it. They're going to put it in their contracts and hold people accountable. And the other side of that is that, you know, they're stepping up into their own role because, you know, they determine a lot of this stuff, benefit design, you know, what they pay for. And they know as, as employers, some of this is on them. So they are really embracing their role in leading change. So that's just one example, but it's, it's pretty exciting. That is exciting. And it sounds like part of it is it's almost like there was a realization, like, you know, if we're going to do this, we have to identify what are some of the barriers to this things like, hey, you know, we want to talk to the health plans and make sure this is in the contracts and, and this is what we expect. And um, part of it is just all getting on the same page with that's like a real basic step that can be really powerful when you get, you know, some of those employers really leading the way. I, I do think 
I know there's times where the government side leads the way with our value-based care, et cetera, but I think there's a real opportunity for some of those jumbo employers that I know you you always connect with as part of um, your uh, group and affiliation that can really you know pave the way um, to reduce cost, improve quality, improve experience, the things we've talked about over and over again for a long time, but in real tangible ways. You got to take that first step. Yep, and it's got to be multi-payer. It, it just has to be. And so you know we're hoping CMMI is going to be participating in this. We want to partner with the feds, practices can't change for 10% of their you know, practice population. We know we need alignment across public and private purchasers. Um, a couple of other you know, bits of, of evidence of movement. We got agreement in um, Colorado. We've got 11 public purchasers along with the governor to partner with us to identify higher quality and design new networks. And, you know, I don't know if that would have happened a couple of years ago. It's not like they weren't frustrated, but now they're doing something. And I just got a call from Louisiana yesterday to do the same thing. So it's really interesting, the readiness that we're, we're seeing to actually act. It's really, it's really encouraging. I think, you know, something important that you said there too is, and, and hopefully this is true. I know it's true for Blue Shield of California, but we got to get to a point where we're doing what's right for the members, for the patients, for the providers. Um, if we're going to make this work. And, and so I, I feel like we're seeing more of that recognition and partnership. Um, so that's incredible. You mentioned some of those other states. I'm just curious, um, for California in particular, is there anything that you're seeing that's shifted in, in California in particular with employers that are based here um, in making those moves? Or is there much more progress that you'd like to be seeing? What's your two cents on what's happened with California? We've got some really progressive members all over the country. Um, some of our tech employers in California are doing, you know, direct maternity bundles with us, as an example. Um, we also have public employers in California. One of our members is going to be piloting a new shared measure set for primary care, and we're trying to bring in a lot more of our um, employers to join in on that because, you know, it's we've got to sort of have a, a shared signal to the market. Um, we are talking with some of our California-based members about how do you get better drug prices? I mean, that's another huge pain point. Specialty drug pricing is out of control. And frankly, the market is just non-responsive to employers paying the bills. So yes, there's a lot of movement among our California-based employers as well, but you know, we're just seeing it across the country. Any other states, Elizabeth, that you point to? Because again, I know you've got a, you sort of a, a, a larger view that you just go, you mentioned some of them, but that they're really taking some steps that you find really interesting or impactful. We're launching a pilot 1122 in um, Pennsylvania that is going to be really interesting, led by one of our Jumbo employer members, but hopefully will include others. Again, it's based on the idea that better care actually costs less. Mm -hmm. And we were able to prove that over eight years of operating a COE program. If you really use selective, robust quality measures, you get people better care and total cost comes down, not through you know pricing, but it through not having a readmission or not having an unnecessary procedure. So really focusing on quality, um, that, that's where our members are. Uh, we're expecting to see some real movement in Texas and 
that's because of the employers. We don't know what we're going to encounter with the uh, <laughs> with, with the medical system there. Um, and then Seattle, you know, we've got a huge concentration in Seattle, and that's a, a really dynamic market. And you know, you've got the Washington Healthcare Authority there on our board. Actually, the and the Washington Benefits Exchange just joined PBGH. They're going to be our newest member. They're trying to align the public purchasers going in the same direction, you know, around primary care. So um, it's it's sort of bubbling up everywhere. And we think that's that's great. Personally, I love to hear that about Washington State. I spent a lot of time there and uh, and know some of the folks you're talking about in the entities. And they really are and have been for some time really trying to drive towards value-based care and, and some of what you're talking about. So that that's excellent. Um, so you did recently uh, a testimony for the Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee on Telehealth. And, and one of the things you had said during that uh, was, you know, you're a big believer in patient-centered innovation. And also you talked about we got to have digital modernization and basically leverage new technology. And I, I know we all love fax machines, right? But like, you know, come on, it's let, let's take healthcare to the digital age. So can you hum a few bars around, you know, your thoughts on what you're seeing or what you think we need to see around an example of patient-centered innovation or digital modernization? You know, I, I think healthcare is at least 30 years behind on leveraging technology. Um, and frankly, telehealth isn't even a new technology. The problem are regulatory barriers and business barriers. So this isn't a technology problem. It's, you know, because most other industries have solved it. But on one business innovation that we're seeing, and, I, you know, I'm not promoting this um, Amazon is not a member of PBGH, but Amazon cares. I think it is just sort of turning on its head how we think about meeting, you know, members or employees where they are. You know, you go on an app, someone responds right away. And if they can't solve your problem, they come to you at work, on vacation, in your home, you know, like any other sort of service. <laughs> and again, I don't know if they'll, you know, make it as a business. I assume they will. They're got a pretty good track record. But it just flips the model. And I think that is challenging in a good way, sort of more traditional provider models. And we had one of the things that happens that I think is part of the magic of bringing multi-stakeholder groups together is, you know, we had a, a primary care leader come talk to our members saying, well, you've got to attribute your pay, your employees to a practice. You have to make sure they, you know, they go there and it's got to be assigned. And the employer said, great, when you can provide 24-7 access, we'll do that. It's the same problem from two different perspectives. And you've got to understand both perspectives to really solve this for the employee for the or the patient. Because that is another huge opportunity for technology. The digital front end is, I think, going to be part of every new practice. We're talking to all sorts of vendors out there right now who are, you know, who are They've got all sorts of shiny new apps and all these cool things, but do they actually get patients the care they need and then connected to the highest quality providers? And post pandemic, another challenge is a distributed workforce. You know, a lot of our companies don't know if people will be back on site. So they might have had an on site clinic that may not be so central anymore. Mm -hmm. So they're really, really thinking hard about how to integrate technology, integrate, you know, digital solutions for primary care in particular, um, but then make sure it's still connected to the healthcare system. It's got to be part of a total cost solution, not just another layer, another point solution that, you know, 
doesn't help with coordination and or or just redundant. So they're really thinking hard about how to integrate that. Yeah, I was curious as you were speaking to um, how much of what we need to do going forward um, is common across employers. Employers meaning, you know, do you think these are strategies that I'm just making this up that are 80% really should apply across the board for these jumbo employers, or is it? there is some real unique differences in terms of, you know, what they have to do given their employee population and all of that. What, what, what are your thoughts around that as it relates to some of these more transformative things? It's both. Yeah. I mean, you know, our tech employers have a different employee base than let's say our manufacturing employers. And, you know, they want every new benefit there is for the tech side where it it just may be more traditional on, you know, in other sectors. But those differences, I think, are really minor compared to the need for collective change. And what we are seeing, you know, we've had, we've, we have members who have been innovating in this space for a very long time. You know, Boeing is a great example. They've they were pioneering direct ACO contracts a long time ago. And, you know, over 20% of our members have had these direct contracts for a long time. I think the new phase though, is them realizing they can't go it alone, even though the initial innovation alone works, the product design and development, but to really get scale, to really impact the system, they need to work together and align. So be asking for the same things in terms of accountability measures or, you know, collectively change to prospective payments for primary care. Again, those are just examples, but one employer, even the biggest employers in the world aren't big enough in any one market, um, you know, with the exception of like maybe Disney in Orlando or, or, or Walmart in Arkansas, but they know they need to align and aggregate to really drive change. And so I think most of this is, is common across employers. When we think about timing, and again, you and I have been doing this um, for probably a similar amount of time, many years, but I think last year we would have both said, you know, and we did, I believe that, hey, we got to change some of these things like now, you know, um, time's running out. I guess my question for you is, are you sitting here now a year plus later, are we, are you more optimistic with these moves that you're seeing or are you feeling like, nope, we're still like in that danger zone where we've got to get our act together. I mean, how are you feeling? More optimistic or just a little bit like, yeah, it's wait and see. I mean, you know, right indicators, but we got just so much to do. How, how would you characterize it? Yes. It, <laughs> You know, what's interesting, I am more encouraged than I have been in maybe my whole career by the readiness of, of jumbo purchasers, public and private, to lead change, to recognize their role and step up and, and, and really lead. But, you know, there is an equal and opposite reaction from the folks who are really benefiting from the status quo. And those are some really powerful, you know, industries. and you know, they're not going to change easily. So, so we've got to find the partners, right? So I think as an example, employers and physicians typically want the same thing and the healthy employees are, are healthy patients, you know, at a, at a foundational level, but then there's a lot of actors in there who are making a lot of money on the dysfunction of the status quo. And it's not going to be an easy transition. I think hospital transparency is such a case study in this. I mean, first of all, it's what, 20 years overdue at least. 
then they actually have a regulation requiring it. And you're saying that they're not even complying. They'd rather pay the fine than actually just provide this basic cost information, which you know would happen in any other market, any other industry. So, so how do you get past that to really, you know, transformative partnerships? Because, um, you know, it's, it's a mix. It's going to take a lot of forceful leadership from the folks who want to see change. How many bright spots do you see in that? I, and I know it's hard, whether it's politics or things to make blanket statements, right, about an industry, et cetera. But are you seeing, for example, on the hospital side or provider side, do you, do you also see the examples of, of, actually there's an example of one really looking to do the right thing, really putting, you know, taking the right steps, walking the talk or, okay, you do. Okay. Oh yeah. Like Cleveland clinic, you know, I was on a panel with them recently. They're leading hospital at home. That was like the coolest model that came through PTAC in my opinion. And, you know, CMMI couldn't pull it off, but you know, some of the industry leaders will. And the, the COEs, um, the program that we were part of for so long, we saw, one of our members, and I won't name them, but they're very large, saw a 50% reduction in unnecessary surgeries, better outcomes, better experience. It is doable. So I am very encouraged. And I think the evidence base there is, is growing that these things can be done. Um, so, so yes, it's, you can't have a blanket statement, um, but you know there are folks who aren't excited about the change. We're seeing that play out right now in California. We're working closely with the governor's office on the Office of Healthcare Affordability. We are big fans of that. We want that to happen. But you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of <laughs> tension around what that could look like. So it's it's to be expected. Um, it's part of the change. But on balance, I'm more encouraged than not. What? if anything, has changed on your thinking around shining the spotlight on those great examples? I mean, either for how you operate and you're leading an important group or how those entities operate. You mentioned Cleveland Clinic or others. How do we, I mean, what should change or what should be done differently or more of to shine a spotlight on those good examples? It's a great question. I mean, I think we speak wonk in healthcare way too much. We don't tell the human stories. You know, years ago when I was doing some of this, there was a story out of um, Geisinger where they reduced healthcare costs so much they gave these Pennsylvania teachers an $8,000 raise. Like that is a cool story and it connects so many dots. You know, if we reduce spending here, we can make lives better over there. And it's, it's about people, it's tangible. We don't do a very good job at that in healthcare. And, you know, we're all busy and we're all like heads down, but I do think we need to get the stories out because, you know, it gives people hope. It like makes it real. And I think there are a lot of good successes out there that we should know about. So Elizabeth, you're focused on, you know, some key areas. You mentioned some of them already for purchasers, business group on health. I was curious, one, just to see if you could just talk a little bit about behavioral health. And we know that that's been a focus and how that's growing. But also, I just wanted to open this up to any other things that you would want to highlight as just real important focus areas for purchasers, business group on health. You talked about primary care a bit. Um, so I just wanted to open it up on behavioral health and then anything else you wanted to highlight that's just really key. Sure. And behavioral health is a top priority for all of our members across the board. It was before the pandemic. It's just sort of, you know, urgent right now. And 
to be really honest, we haven't found good solutions. And I will share, you know, I just had to navigate the mental health system for a family member, you know, a few months ago. It was awful. There were months long waiting lists, if you could even find who to call. And it's a, it's a crisis for a lot of people. Um, so that has not changed. We want primary care and behavioral health more integrated. That means we've got to get over our ridiculous limitations on data sharing. You know, we've got to coordinate, you know, a lot of the carve outs actually that many employers have asked for have made it worse. Like the systems don't talk to each other. So behavioral health is front and center. There are a lot of sort of startups, you know, um, emerging that I think will help, but that's only part of the solution. Um, I am hearing from our members, the next frontier that, you know, we really want to dive into is really well-being and it goes well beyond healthcare. And I've been working with Don Berwick a bit on this and, you know, it's, he's like, how do we keep people out of the expensive fix-it shops? You know, we haven't invested nearly enough in social needs and keeping people healthy. And frankly, all of our incentives are, you know, the other direction. So a lot of employers are thinking about their role in overall well-being. And I think that's going to be big. And then of course, equity, which I already mentioned, but, you know, we've got a long way to go in really addressing equity. So those are, you know, just a few of the big things on our, on our agenda. Um, but in the meantime, we just have the basics of affordability and quality that just haven't been tackled effectively. So, you know, we are, we're taking it all on. Yeah. And, and on the affordability quality experience, do you get the sense, sometimes I get the sense with some of the jumbo employers that, yeah, it's important affordability. Some, for some of them, it's really important, but for some of them, they really are, you know, evenly or more focused on quality and experience. You You're know. right. Okay. Okay. You're exactly right. They are not nearly as price sensitive as the mid-size market. Not nearly. I mean, they are willing to pay for good quality, but they're not getting that. They yeah. want to make sure what what they're paying for improves health and is a, a fair value, it, which is not a lot to ask, especially when you think about it. You know, they get it from every other sort of supplier, <laughs> as it were, and. And again, they also believe, and I think we've demonstrated multiple times, better care, higher quality care actually does cost less. Um, so it, they aren't focused on nickel and diming anyone. You know, they actually want to pay for the highest quality care. They're willing to look at the payment models themselves. So, you know, bundles with warranties or, you know, more flexible prospective payments that's that's where they're focused. And I think they trust that as health improves and outcomes improve, total cost will will also improve. Yeah. And that's where I think your group and and our in the industry, whether it's health plans or providers, I, I think that's the obligation that we have too, especially for those employers, is to you made an important point. Yeah, they're not as maybe price sensitive, but they want to pay for value. And you and I both know. And, and this can be articulated now pretty with some specificity. There's a lot of waste in terms of- Like 30%. And it's yeah. been documented over and over and over. And that, you know, that would bother anybody, right? Like 30% of what you're paying for is not improving health. It's not improving value. I mean, we've known this. So that means that you could reduce spending by some significant percentage point without adversely impacting health. And- you know, making making people's experience better, most likely. 
I agree. Well, um, I just so appreciate, you know, what you're leading um, at the Purchasers Business Group on Health. And, and again, I, I, know, um, I know Blue Shield and, and I know there's other entities out there really focused in a big way on these things because we, we just have to get there. And it just feels like, um, you know, there does feel to me like things have accelerated a bit and crystallized a bit more because of the move to virtual, the acceleration there because of the pandemic, people had to figure some stuff out. And, uh, and I, think, I think consumer and member expectations are changing because of, you know, you mentioned Amazon as an example of what they've been able to do in other industries, focused and obsessed with the consumer. And so that experience part of it too, um, along with getting value is just, is becoming the expectation uh, in, in a place where we don't do that well today in healthcare. So. Um, I'm excited about what's ahead. Yeah, I, I am too. And, you know, we know it's going to take partnerships. We know like no one's going to do this alone. It's just too big. And, you know, we've had just a really terrific experience working with your payment innovation team and, you know, sharing with employers, what does it take to change payment for primary care, learning from that and looking for things to scale. And, you know, we, we, we need the partnerships um, of like-minded, you know, transformers. So we really appreciate that as well. Thanks for that, Elizabeth. So I'm going to go ahead and turn to some rapid fire questions that you can give one word or a few word answers on. Um, and so the first one, Elizabeth, is what is one thing that you do to stay healthy? Yoga. Not very well, but I do it. <laughs> Very nice. What's the most used app on your phone? Oh man, this is a hard one. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't be the first um, that yeah. had said that. Yeah, um, that's that's great. And when you're not working, what can we find you doing? Uh, I do a lot of hiking. Um, my son is a scout, and uh, we've been going on a lot of camping trips. Uh, pretty much anything outdoors is uh, where you'll find me. That's great. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, Elizabeth. Thank you. And thanks for all that you're doing. And thank you uh, for the listeners for taking the time to listen. I hope you walked away with just, uh, again, the passion and the focus and the leadership that Elizabeth brings to Purchasers Business Group on Health, focused on just things we need to do in healthcare around primary care, value-based care. We talked about behavioral health. And I, I hope you can hear the passion that came through and the optimism for where we're going with healthcare and transforming it. For more information on Purchasers Business Group on Health, visit www.pbgh.org. And join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. We'd love to hear your feedback, share your comments, and let us know your thoughts by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also join the conversation on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue, or visit our website at www.doseofdialogue.com.